What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Separations and Preparation Podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Michelle Urea. Michelle, how are you? Hello, good morning. I'm great. Really happy to be here. Awesome. Really excited to have you on. Um, to start, could we have you introduce yourself to the listener and then talk about what you do? Yeah. Um, thank you so much for saying my name, how it should be said, Michelle Urea. That was wonderful. You're welcome. <laughs> so yeah, that that's me, Michelle Urea, um, and I um, and I'm a Latina, raised here in Seattle, living still in Seattle, um, working as a teacher at an organization called Go Kick, geeking out kids of color, um, and I teach tech to um, kids of color. Really, 100% of our students are kids of color. Um, and I really just love my job. Um, on the side, I'm also a little bit of a writer. I love writing. Uh, so if I'm not teaching, I'm outdoors writing. Mm, very cool. So to start, I guess, is being a tech educator or just an educator in general, is that something you saw yourself doing when you were like a high school student? Yeah. Um, I think I've always loved education. Mm. Uh, I've loved a, you know, the setting where one gets to really excel as far as they want. Like, I think that's the one thing I loved about school. Like, I could really apply myself and just go as hard as I could, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it was the educators that um, really took over the room and really, um, you know, were, were strong leaders that have stuck with me forever and whether that be a teacher at a school or in like an after school program or like in a summer day camp you know they've always been people that have been impactful in my life and I think I always saw myself trying to do something impactful but I'm not sure if it was totally education I've always had mm. like mad respect for educators yeah. um so when I went off to college and I was just doing a whole bunch of coding and I was doing a whole bunch of math and science classes. I was like, I need a little human side of me to come back. So yeah. <laughs> let me study education and social justice. And oh my God, I just, a part of me just started coming out that I didn't really know totally existed. So yeah. No, that's, uh, that's fascinating to hear. I think the idea that you talk about of like, knowing that you want to have an impact is I think something that people share, but a barrier to that is like, there are so many different ways to get involved. So what I love about your story is that you kind of a little bit through sort of luck and serendipity and chance, and then just taking the right courses, you found the way that you could get involved. And it's just this really interesting mixture of tech and, um, education about tech. So was there things like looking back subconsciously, whether it was experiences in school and high school, middle school, or just you mentioned like being impacted powerfully by strong mentors in the education field? Do you think there were things that prepared you well, consciously or subconsciously um, to be a good educator? Yeah, you know, um, something that I talk about often, and that has really impacted my teaching style. Um, and especially how I build curriculum, is that when I was in high school, I was uh, diagnosed with a cognitive disorder. Um, and one thing that about learning disorders is that a lot of them go undiagnosed because yeah. it's expensive for the, um, the testing that has to be done to come to that conclusion. Um, and so a lot of kids it's just seen as like, oh, you know, they're just not understanding the material or this or this or that, right? And so I was fortunate for um, my high school Lakeside to actually have noticed that, okay, something's going on here. She needs a little bit more time. She needs a little bit more help with her assignments. What's going on? So they actually sent me off to that to go get tested and they paid for all of it and organized all of the settings or all of the appointments and who was going to drive me and everything. And I was diagnosed in the end with um, a cognitive disorder. And I got twice as much time on my 
on all of my exams and my assignments and stuff. And my grades improved within a week, I swear, just wow. from getting that extra time. And so now knowing that I myself, because of my disorder, I have to sometimes learn things like five different ways before it actually clicks. Um, I think about that often with my students and when there's too much going on and too much material being presented to me, I get overwhelmed and I kind of just shut down and it's really hard for me to like grasp everything. And um, I do really bad. So when I teach and when I come up with curriculum, I really try to make sure that we are really teaching the foundation and mm. then piling on on top of that. But if they don't, you know, understand the very foundation and we make things as least complicated as possible, um, it's really, you know, I, I think about the students who are like me. Mm. Um, and so I think my cognitive disorder has had a huge impact in how um, I teach and come up with curriculum. And yeah. Wow. No, I mean, from my perspective, that's amazing. I mean, first, kind of want to just honor your willingness to share. I mean, I think for me, that's really powerful to hear you talk about, but it's even more powerful to hear how you've applied something that you struggled with and went through yourself. Um, and you've applied it to the way that you teach as a, main, as a means of kind of paying it forward to the generation that you're trying to serve. But also, I think it's unique. It's sort of a unique aspect that just because of the way that you like to learn things, you have to learn it in many different ways. I can imagine that sets you really, sets you up really well to then teach it in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. Yes. That that's a key part right there too. <laughs> it's funny because I I don't only teach, but I also tutor on the side. And the girl that I tutor, oh my God, I I'm working with her and I'm like, you are me at your age. I can mm. tell that you wow. have the same cognitive disorder that I grew up with. And, you know, we just, I present things in like 500 different ways and we sing songs about the math themes that we're trying to learn. And we play with coins and we play with marbles and everything. We're just like, experimenting with everything. So I'm yeah. like, one of these is going to click uh, eventually, but yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it just is really disrupting this false notion that there's a one size fits all approach to education, which is just, which is not true. Um, but it's, it's awesome for me to hear about how you are kind of disrupting that from within the system and providing a, a really, a really cool opportunity for the students who you're, who you're working with. Um, so I guess on that note, it'd be great if you could talk a little bit about the program that you um, that you work in and kind of the goal and the mission and then sort of what that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis for you. Yeah. Um, so as I said, I work for um, Kicking Out Kids of Color, CoKick, um, and we're, we work with communities in the greater Seattle area. So everywhere like White Center, Burien, um, and with COVID, we've actually had, you know, kids from like Auburn can't you know because we're virtual so um it's we're able to connect from much further locations right all you need is your computer and some wi-fi and we're good to go um even their phones sometimes kids join from their phones that's fine we'll make it work um but yeah i think so our mission is to really just make knowledge of tech um, accessible to everyone, especially communities of color. Because if you look at the tech industry right now, you really don't see a lot of people of color in the industry. And then you start thinking about the narratives that are being built in tech, right? And they're centered around one group of people. And so what if these kids had the tools to build their own tech and tell their own stories uh, with tech, right? And they, they were the ones building the robots. They were the ones building the apps. And um, these kids have built some amazing things and do some amazing things with the tools that they're given. And I'm just awed every in awe every day um, that I teach. But yeah, that's... And then we, we tie them to the curriculum that they're learning. So 
it's all centered around the student. Um, the questions that they are asked in class um, is to tie the tech back to themselves. Because one thing I studied in my education and social justice program um, is that when the student is able to connect with the content that they're learning, they're way more engaged and it has way more of an impact. And so that is one of our main focuses at GoKick. How are we um, building curriculum so that these kids are able to tell their own stories? And, um, the other piece about GoKick as well is that all of our teachers um, look like their students. So for me, um, a lot of my students, I would say maybe like 80%, 85% are Latinos. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. I ask my students often, you know, how many Latina teachers have you had? And they're like, uh, none. <laughs> like, this is so important for me to be able to stand here in front of the class and like guide our conversations and also be able to connect back to the things that you guys are talking about and sharing um, and honoring your experiences because that was me at one point or still is me, right? Um, or if some of them can't speak Spanish, I mean, can't speak English in class um, because they just moved to the U.S., no worries, I'm speaking Spanish to you. Um, and so I think that's a really important piece where I find, you know, in, in education, a lot of kids who do move here, they don't speak English, they check out and because they can't connect. But yeah, so that's really what Go Kick does. And I absolutely couldn't have uh, fell into a better organization. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it certainly seems that way. I think a couple of things that resonated with me from what you just said is this idea of one narrative and then two, a connection to that narrative, right? Can the narrative of technology include the communities from which your students come from, right? Can you create a space in that narrative for them to see themselves? Can they see themselves not only in the content that they're learning in class, but also in the person who is teaching them that content, right? And I think you talked about the value and I just kind of want to underscore that value of seeing yourself in whatever it is that you're doing. And I mean, to be totally upfront as a white male, I see myself in what I'm doing all the time right? It's like, he looks like me or that family looks like me or, you know what I mean? And I think for people who don't have that privilege that I do, all of a sudden, what can also, what can, what it's already a difficult, I mean, it's hard to be a teenager, right? There for many reasons, but what's already a hard time becomes infinitely more difficult because of a lack of representation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Can I tell you the number of times I walked around college thinking, am I supposed to be here? Like, very little bit of people look like me here, you know, very little people are Latinos and women. And I'm just like, oh, every day I had to fight that. I had to be like, no, you do belong here. You do have to keep fighting. You do got to keep going and studying all that calculus you really hate, but you're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Representation is huge. It's really important. And I see that more and more and more as I'm teaching. And we just started this UX design program with a group of high school girls. And we had our first class last Monday. Uh, and just sitting there and these girls telling me about what they want to be in the future and what type of things they want to do in the future. And they're talking about how they want to use tech to change, you know, to be impactful in this world. And I was just like, I feel so honored to sit here and be able to help guide that, um, that curiosity and that passion. And, and as a woman of color, I'm just like, wow, I don't know how I got here, but I'm just so happy. Uh, and I was kind of like, um, I got a little emotional because I'm like, you know, all those times that I spent, you know, really... I would stay up to like four or five in the morning studying and trying to be prepared for my exams. And my journey has been long, but it's really paying off now. And I'm like, I, I can code now and I can teach other girls how to code and other POC how to code. And it's just sometimes it's overwhelming. I'm like, this is so exciting. I stuck with it and I'm getting to see the, you know, the, 
the impact of what I chose to do in life. Yeah, 100%. And I think what's what's cool from my perspective is to hear how you use your persistence and like willingness to push through difficult times and kind of have converted it into this sort of sense of humility um, when you're in these groups and teaching these students, right? It's not like I'm the teacher, listen to what I say. No, I mean, I think it's really powerful to hear you say that I feel honored to be working with these students. Um, and I can imagine that plays a a big role in terms of how you try to build your curriculum and plan your lessons. Um, so to dive a little bit more into that, what are kind of the methodologies and strategy strategies you use to prepare material and um, just your, your class sessions on the whole? Yeah, um, <clears throat> it's all team-based. That's what I do love about Coat Kick. Like, well, to start, we actually, um, we survey the kids like twice a year um, and we ask them what it is that they want to learn about. We give them a whole bunch of themes and we um, present them to them, um, you know, telling them a little bit about each theme. So there's always a social justice component and then there's the tech component. Um, and so they, they completely choose that. And so in the fall, we learned about colonization and indigenous people. And then in the winter, we learned about Black Lives Matter movement. And then right now for spring, we're learning about immigration. And these are all topics that the kids completely chose, um, which is awesome because yeah. we're centering their, what they want to learn. And um, then the team comes together for our first meeting. We just do like a brain dump almost. And it's so much fun. We just sit there and we're like, what is, you know, what comes to mind when you think of immigration? And then bow, and we all throw things in there. Um, and then we decide on topics we each want to research and so on and so on. But then finally, when, he, when I'm sitting with the topics that I'm supposed to be building, you know, the slides for and the part of the curriculum for, I, I have to build my slides go in like four or five steps. I have like four or five drafts <laughs> and I always tell my boss and I think it's part of my cognitive disorder. Like, I think that, you know, it's, I think it should be one way and then I leave it for like two days and then I come back to it and then I leave it for two days and I come back to it and then I present it and then I come back to it. <laughs> There's so many, um, yeah you know, drafts that I have, but um, a lot of the times really what it is for me is I think, I think about the different learning styles. Um, and I know that sitting in front of a room and just staring at somebody talk to you is not the way <laughs> to teach though. Mm. A lot of my lessons are, are um, around discussion. I ask questions that make them really connect to the, um, the topic that we're discussing and um, class discussion so that everybody can share with each other um, their stories and activities, so many activities. I make up games left and right. I don't know how I come up with these games. And sometimes I let the kids help me come up with the games. But yeah, my classes look very active um, and very much we share discussion. No, I think just this whole concept of intertwining social justice and then learning about tech together is, it's, I mean, it's something that I never even thought of, but it's, it's brilliant. I think it's, 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 it's a really cool way to learn about two really important things. Um, and I guess in that process, I'm curious, how do you kind of manage and I wonder whether this is more relevant for the social justice component or for the tech component or whether it's just true overall. How do you manage when progressing the group to the sort of the next step when at the same time catering to sort of each individual's needs, right? Maybe some people get it a little bit quicker or some people need more time. So how do you kind of try and sort of service the whole group's experience while also making sure that there aren't, that there aren't people left out? Yeah. Yeah. Um... I, you know, virtual learning has been a challenge because you can't tell who's at the screen and who's not. 
Mm. And I, I personally am not the type of educator to force kids to turn on their cameras. I invite them at the start of every class to turn on their cameras, but if they don't want to, you know, it's a sometimes a vulnerable place. You know, they're in their own homes. Uh, we don't know who's running around. Um, and so if they want their cameras off, that's fine. But I think the hard thing is I don't know if they're actually engaged and they're there. Um, so I just hope that they're, they enjoy the class enough and they have shown up for the day that they're, they're there and engaged. But, um, I, I do a lot of like, before I move on from a slide, I make sure that I get like a thumbs up, thumbs aside or thumbs down from the kids. And they're very honest. Um, cause I work with third through fifth graders and, um, some middle schools, like couple middle school students and then a couple high school students but with my little ones they're very honest like I'm like all right did we understand um all of those you know vocab words and they're like no <laughs> and then we'll go over and we'll share examples and one thing I really love to do is give the opportunity for other kids to teach um each other and so when one student is like oh, I really understand that word, um, like the word immigration, right? Um, then I'm like, hey, can you explain to this student how immigration is to you? They're like, oh, yeah. Well, you know, when my grandma moved from Vietnam, she was participating in immigration. I'm like, exactly. And then, you know, he shares, oh, well, like my dad who moved from El Salvador. I'm like, exactly. And so really, I I think that's kind of what my teaching style is like. I'll present some information, but I'll really let them take it from there. Um, and I try to, and I think that I find that when they're given the opportunity to teach each other, um, they, they're naturals, I swear. I don't know, these kids are so good at <laughs> teaching. Y'all <laughs> teach me and each other and I love it. <laughs> Sometimes I have trouble with like um, something on like Zoom or something. I'm like, teacher, well, you can do this. And then they'll sit there and like teach me how to completely use Zoom or something. <laughs> that is so oh, great. Teach each other how to use Zoom. Um, and I'm like, you guys are so cool. I love it. I'm going to let y'all take over right now. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I really check in. I just use the thumbs up, thumbs side, thumbs down. Um, Anybody who has side down, you know, I try to pair them with the thumbs up guys and and don't really move on if kids don't feel. Sometimes I move on if we have a thumbs to the side, if we're going to continue talking about a topic. Right. Uh, but and then we also review every week. We review what we learned the previous week. That's really important. Um, and we build on what we learned the previous week. No, I mean, that's just amazing to hear about. I think one thing that I love just listening to your teaching style is how you empower your students, right? If somebody has a really good grasp about it, not only do you acknowledge that, but you acknowledge it even further by saying, look, I'd like you to try and help somebody else, right? And you talk about seeing yourself in the content that you're trying to learn. I think the, what one of the best ways to do that is to allow students to provide personal examples, obviously to the level that they're comfortable with. But I think not only does it serve them as they have seen themselves in the material, but it also I think opens it up um, to other students who might be might be struggling with it a little bit. And I guess I wonder because you're not in a like I don't know what the right word traditional education system where it's a program in and of itself that has a separate mission from what a public school might have, or you aren't beholden to the sort of the same, I guess, bureaucratic restrictions that sometimes teachers struggle with there. Like, can you speak to the benefit of not having like a set agenda, like having the flexibility to stay on a topic or to move on or to change things or to even like allow the students to choose what they want to learn about? Oh my God, I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, one of the other Go Kick missions that I forgot to mention and don't know how, but we teach from a decolonized lens. So um, one of the main things that I learned, I think when I was in school, <laughs> I was so upset about, I remember just sitting there just in flames because we watched this video about um, how standardized tests really 
test nothing other than like, how good are you at testing? <laughs> and I sat there and I was like, oh my God, that's right. That's why I did terrible online because I literally am terrible at testing. But if you sit down and you have a conversation with me about the topic, I will go on and on and on and on. Um, and so, and one of the other things we learned about is how these standardized tests that are done in school will directly be attached to whether a teacher um, is, you know, welcome back at the school the following year or not, right? And so it's tied back to the teacher as well. So imagine the pressure that is put not only, you know, put on the teacher on like she had or he or she has to um, teach this curriculum with all these constraints. Oh my God, it's scary. <laughs> like I can't, I can't imagine having to be in such a setting. And, um, and I just know that when I was in college, I was like, I cannot end up in this teaching in the same setting if I ever do teach. And, and I actually left college because of how strongly I felt about, um, about those constraints that teachers go under, right? And how the system is set up um, with so much stress. And what we know about stress is that when you're under stress, how, how much do you actually grasp? You know, more of it is traumatic than, than actually your body goes into this shock, right? Rather than like really taking in everything you've been learning. And so I think us being able to move at our own paces and set our, you know, and, and set the curriculum around what the kids want to learn, what they're interested in. Oh my God, that impact is huge. They're so much more engaged. They're having these conversations with their friends. They're talking, they're telling their teachers about what they're learning in our program. And our program's an after-school program, an hour and 15 minutes long, sometimes an hour and a half. But um, yeah, you know, I think that for me as an educator, I'm so much more free. I can really get to show up as myself. I speak in English, Spanish, and Spanglish in all of my classes. And, you know, I let, I tell my other students, speak in whatever language you are comfortable in speaking. And if I don't understand it, either help translate or I'll be on Google Translate. <laughs> but really, you know, bring yourself and um, we move on our own pace. And and it's, it's funny because sometimes I'll get stressed out because I'm like, oh, my God, we didn't get to that exercise. And my, um, my like boss, we don't really have bosses like at Go Kick really because we're one big like family and we're one big uh, team, but kind of like my supervisor, I guess she, um, she's like, man, if you spent the whole class on the third slide where you guys just talked about the four ways, um, how one can move to the US um, with a visa, that's fine. And you didn't get to the exercise, that's fine because that kid had a lot i had one kid who asked i kid you not 30 questions about the different the immigration system of the u.s and we just stuck on that slide and that was fine we'll get to it hopefully next week the other things but yeah you know there's not a lot of pressure on me um to move an agenda in a certain amount of time and it's really just about what things they get out of the space yeah, no, I mean, it's it's so great uh, to hear about and hear how that space has been created um, by you and then your coworkers as well. I guess another thing that I'd love to hear more about is kind of how you try and prepare yourself or prepare the content that you're trying to teach um, to kind of cater to students who are coming from not only diverse backgrounds, but also from different educational setups, right? I imagine that maybe some of your students are classmates in sort of the traditional eight to three o'clock school, but some of them aren't and are, everyone's coming from a little bit different background on scaffolding education wise in terms of like third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. So I guess, could you talk a little bit about um, the benefits and challenges um, that, that, that that poses to you? Yeah, um, I think one of the hardest things is that sometimes we find kids come to our class and they're either just like really like have a lot of energy or have no energy. <laughs> and so, again, I'm not the forcing type of teacher. So you need to just lay your head down and just listen for today. Cool. 
do whatever you got to do to feel present. You know, again, you know, nobody is forced to show up to our programs. It is an after school program. So if they log themselves on, that's because they wanted to be there. You know, um, I kind of forgot the question. What a- no worries. I guess <laughs> I can rephrase it or I'll just say it again. I think like, what are ways that you try and maybe supplement what they're learning in their normal school while also I don't know because I can imagine like sometimes there are things that they come into having being taught that you're like hmm I would have taught this a little bit differently or I don't necessarily agree with how that's taught like what are the ways in which you try and like from a respectful perspective challenge there no I mean you talk about like the decolonization of education and and challenging the status quo and challenging the way that things are taught Um, So I guess, how do you balance having your students just for a small portion of their overall educational experience, um, but guys trying to like maximize that impact and not totally like get get rid of what they've learned in school, but also like challenge and alter and question things where necessary? You know, um, the first program that I ever taught at and the reason I was hired for Go Kick is because they were looking for a teacher for one time a week. or one day a week um, out on Vashon Island for a um, uh, Latino community out there. Um, They didn't have a teacher and they wanted a teacher to speak Spanish and be Latina or Latino. And so I was like, I just got out of school. Um, I didn't have really a job in the field that I wanted to be in. And so I was like, sign me up. I'm going. Um, And the first thing that we do in all of our classes is set community values um, and class values, right? How are we going to create a space to feel safe? Um, And so they come up with that. And we also, when we do that, we talk about how our current education systems are set up and what things do we like and not like about those settings. And so right there, I get to hear a lot about how their classes compare to our Go Kit classes. Mm. And for example, like one thing that a lot of my kids shared with me is that they get in trouble and sometimes even get sent home for speaking in their own language, for speaking in Spanish. Wow. And that kind of just broke me down. I'm like, what? That's how you express yourself. You're completely being um, shut down from how you can express yourself. Because a lot of my kids, when I ask them at the beginning of class, am I teaching Spanish or English today? I uh, almost 100% of the time, they're like, Spanish. And that is what they're more comfortable in learning. And so when they're in these other settings where they're not allowed to speak in their own, you know, native tongue, then, oh my God, they're already being shut down from being themselves. So imagine Mm -hmm. all the other ways that they're being shut down. Um, And, you know, I tell them, I tell them, well, ask them why you're not allowed to speak Spanish. No pushback on this system. And it's, it sounds scary, but you have the right to ask, you know, why you're going to be sent home for wanting to speak in Spanish. Um, And so, and and I tell them, you know, really think about, is this fair? Is this the way that things should be? And you have the answers yourself. Um, And I think it's, it's a, that was a key thing of me also being from their backgrounds as well, um, that I'm able to, you know, sympathize with them because I used to get in trouble for speaking Spanish at school. You know, and for being a Latina, I was thrown into the English Spanish learning classes, even though I didn't need to be there. And a lot of them share that, too. They're like, I don't know why they pull me out of class to be in those classes if I don't have to be there. I know what I'm doing. I know how to speak English. And I'm like, I know we're just kind of categorized and thrown around. Um, And so I think, yeah, that's one of the key things I really do. I tell them, ask questions, challenge them. You know, ask them why the system is created the way that it is. Um, And we practice it in our classes. You know, I ask them to ask me questions about why I build things certain ways. Yeah. 
um, because you know you first have to practice it before you really have because it's hard you're really you're putting yourself out there sometimes um, by going against uh, who what is the setup currently um, but they hold all of the power and right and this education system wouldn't exist without them so they're important and they got to be catered to too and yeah they it's funny when we were teaching them about indigenous people a lot of the things i kept hearing go the native americans the native americans the native americans and i'm like okay indigenous people because sure they called the people who lived in the u.s native americans but we're talking about people you know in mexico and you know um Central America, they're not known as Native Americans, they're known as indigenous people. So that was like one time where we just had to, I always had to remind them like indigenous people, you know, not Native Americans. And they're like, but they're like the Native Americans. I'm like, yes, like it, but not it. Mm. <laughs> so there's, there are a lot of things. Yeah, you're right, that are taught in the, you know, they're, they're I don't even know what to call it like the in the in education system i guess yeah. versus what we're teaching them and so that's why we we talk about this decolonized base where they're we're really asking them to you know pull out some of those roots and plant new seeds yeah no i mean i think for me and the listeners tons of really cool things to unpack there but just two things that have stood out to me from what you said there and just in general right is your willingness to question the way people are categorized both in terms of their background and both in terms of how they learn right but from a cognitive standpoint and it's cool again to hear how you use your personal experiences to strive to disrupt and create a system that is instead of being closed-minded and categorical in terms of how it looks at its students from a cognitive or ethnicity standpoint it's open-minded and trying to find not what is the easiest solution for the institution but the best solution um, for the student and uh, I guess one thing that comes to mind is with the great work that you're doing how are you trying to reach students who maybe wouldn't know about the program in the first place and provide sort of access um, to, I guess, the further access that you're trying to provide, be it in technology or social justice? Yeah, um, you know, our team at GoKick is growing like crazy. Um, and a lot of us are either Seattle natives or have been in Seattle for a while. And so mm -hmm. um, really um, a lot of the times the programs that we end up doing is because of our personal connection. So. For example, for me, when I started at the at Go Kick, I was like, well, it's great that we work in like Burien and um, White Center. But what about the Central District? I was like, that's where I grew up. Like, I want to be teaching some kids um, from in the neighborhood that I grew up. So um, I reached out to some people at Washington Middle School where I went to um, in middle school and made some moves. And we ended up starting a program there. And uh, we t I got to teach a class and I only had three sessions before the pandemic hit, which was pretty sad, but we just started up a new program there teaching uh, kids about robotics. Um, currently talking to someone about starting a program up in Bellingham. Um, <clears throat> and so it's really personal connections. And I think also GoKick has only been around roughly, I think we're heading into our third year. Um, and so we're barely getting, I think, traction to really get the funding to be in more spaces. Right. Um, yeah, and I think we're currently trying to speak with the Seattle Public School District to see if we can be an after-school program, a regular after-school program in all of these spaces. So, really exciting, we're really growing. Um, we just had to take it easy and slow it the beginning to make sure that our values and our core of our organization was really set up because that's the important piece about us and if it's not that foundation is not there then who are we right how are we different yeah. from the organization okay that's um that is really cool to hear i think <laughs> yeah no i don't even have any i just yeah i'll leave that as it is it's really well said by you um 
I guess another thing that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to kind of circle back to um, are the challenges that the pandemic has posed to teaching, right? You mentioned having to stop your program at Washington Middle School, unfortunately, after just three sessions in person. Um, so how are you trying to help students who maybe, you mentioned like all you need is, is a computer or a phone and Wi-Fi, but I imagine like for some of the students you're trying to serve, those things aren't available consistently at home. So I guess it's a big question, but uh, what are some ways that you guys try and um, help students out or facilitate the right kind of learning environment um, from their respective homes? Yes, yes. At the beginning of the pandemic, it just felt like a huge wildfire was set. And we were just with our buckets trying to put it out. Yeah. <laughs> And um, one of the first things we actually ended up doing um, is um, since I was working at the time, I think the only sites I was working with were uh, Vashon and um, and I was also working at Washington Middle School, but that one just ended. And so for my Vashon, it really just became me working with our Vashon families. Um, and at this point, I had been working with them for a couple months, so I I really knew everyone's families really well um, and I had attended a lot of like community events and so I was really well connected with the families um, and so we just we started doing a huge outreach we sat down and we worked tirelessly all day and night um, calling all of our families surveying surveying them asking them you know do you have internet do you have a computer do you know how to use your computer if you did get a computer um, and, you know, the, the tech gap has always existed, mm. always been something that has been talked about, right? Who has access to technology and who doesn't? And, um, and what does that mean? And that was, um, it became super apparent at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, how bad this tech gap was. And so I was in constant communication with the family. So I did, we did the survey, we figured out who needed what first. Um, and then we communicated back to the school district because it was kind of ridiculous that the school district was asking for these families to connect um, on online, right? And they don't even have the tools to connect online. And they're like, okay, fine, well, we'll get them computers okay and then what about the internet oh we'll get we'll get them little um you know like the little modems or whatever they're called right yeah like the little wireless packets you know okay. like yeah yeah boxes or whatever but it's like you're out in an island the reception's already terrible you think a little box is gonna work dude <laughs> and so okay they got those things but they didn't even know how to connect those boxes to the computers Right. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. So how are we going to help them do that? How are we going to teach them to do that over the phone? And I'd be on WhatsApp calls. I'd be on FaceTime calls and we're like trying to figure it out. But a lot of the little boxes weren't strong enough um, and they were giving them one boxes, one box, you know, of a little Wi-Fi for a family of like six kids and they were all in school. So it's like everyone's. I remember when school started, there was a family who had like six kids in the house, all trying to connect to this one jetpack like thing. And they were able to get the first two computers connected and they couldn't get the other four connected. And I'm like, cause it's not strong enough, you know? And so there were so many challenges. It was first getting them the tech and then making sure the tech worked and then teaching them how to use the tech. And this all started like day one of the pandemic. And then even when we got all the way down to September when school was supposed to start, I was always attending the, um, the like back to school committee for Vashon School District. And I voiced every single meeting from the beginning of the pandemic until school started that if they did not make room to make sure that everybody had the tech that they needed to be successful and that they understood how to use their tech, that they were making the conscious decision to leave these kids behind. 
and that they were going to be playing catch up and there was there was going to be consequences for that mm. and the school district started and didn't care for what had to be said and on day one again i was up by like 7 a.m at my computer with my phone i put out flyers to all of the families um, with my number and my email on it. I was like, you can't get into your classes. Give me a call. I'll help you out. Um, I re we really turned into like this, this team. And I, and I had another um, coworker uh, who helped me out with all of this. And the families were just like, thank you so much. Like, I don't know what's going on. You know, we were troubleshooting. And yeah, my, my job turned from teaching into a like, tech support person and advocate and a huge advocate yeah. um and till and the kids are now a lot better at using their computers and you know navigating zoom and figuring all that. but like the the to get over that curve was really 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 hard and i know that for a lot of our families it was it was really difficult and having to ask for help, you know, it's not something that the Latino community is used to. And so um, asking for help when it came to getting onto this computer, you know, a lot of their families, you know, their parents have never even touched the computer. They're uncomfortable with a computer. So now you're asking a kindergarten student to join a computer, but he's never seen a computer. His mom's never seen a computer. So how is this gonna happen? Um, so it was a lot of, you know, patience and that the, you know, that was one thing I reminded everybody, patience, 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 but a lot of, you know, the families I spoke to are like, our patience is running out. We're exhausted. We're tired, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it's been a hard time, I think, in terms of like this tech gap and some some serious you know decisions these decisions that these school districts have made to actually leave these families behind and leave these kids behind and i talked to a lot of my students and asked them and they're like i hate this i really do and um and i put myself back in the shoes of these kids at this this age if i were their age in this pandemic and i mean i lived in a two-bedroom apartment with five four siblings I cannot imagine trying to sit down in all of our classes going on at the same time. Where would you put all of us? Right. You know, how would we be able to be engaged? Who would take care of us? Both of my parents worked, so I really sympathize with my kids and I I know that after this there's going to they're going to be excited to go back, but there's a lot of a lot of things that are going to have to be addressed and taken care of to move forward. And I'm afraid that the system won't make space for them and time. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I think just to hear the immense amount of challenges that you kind of had to sort of overcome just to get to step one, which is get students in class, right? And being able to participate. Um, the problem solving and things like that, I think it was kind of built on the foundational work that you did um, at the beginning, right? Immersing yourself in the community, making the extra effort to attend community events, establishing trust with families so that they could reach out to you and ask for help, right? Which, which you touched on it being a difficult thing. Um, so I guess I just want to honor and credit that work that you did because I think it's one of the, I mean, it's really was the impetus for this project, this podcast for me is those little things that you're doing, they may seem at the time, not super impactful, but it's setting you setting yourself up to do the best possible job, which knowing you to be driven and motivated, that's what you're trying to do. And then I guess the last thing that I just would comment on based on what you said is just the, I think the implications of this pandemic, I think we've certainly felt them in many different ways, but the future implications of that educational gap and those kids who have been left behind, especially at like formative ages, I think will continue to feel and see the resounding impact of that um, over the years to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why programs like Go Kick are so important because we're Absolutely. just them, you know, like you do matter. You know, some other systems might leave you out, but at this, this organization, we completely count you in and it's all centered around you. And I know that the kids see that and it's so important for them to, to have a space like that, you know? 
yesterday I finished up uh, one of my tutoring my tutoring sessions and uh, I, she she struggles with math a lot but we were working on writing and I told her at the end of it I said girl you did so great like math might be hard but writing you are a natural like I can't get you to stop writing and I was like I want you to tell yourself I'm a writer she's like what I'm like say that to yourself I'm a writer she's like I'm a writer. I'm like, no, no, no. Say, I am a writer. She's like, I'm a writer. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I want you to look at yourself every day and tell yourself that. She's like, okay, yeah, I'm a writer. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes it's just that, just one little sentence to remind themselves these affirmations, right? Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm in outside of the, the district in that I'm able to provide a different type of learning space, a different narrative for them to hopefully fall in love with education um, in that it, it can be a not traumatizing place. Yeah. No, I mean, just from hearing you talk about it, I can certainly attest that, yes, I, I share your sentiment. I think you're in the right place and you're doing really, really important work. Um, so thanks so much for for sharing your story and uh, and what you do with us. I think it's it's really resonated with me, and I know that'll be true for the listener as well. Thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing. I don't often get to talk about the work that I do. I just am working all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so it was nice to take a little step back and get to talk about that. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely, it was an honor, Michelle. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Separation is in the Preparation podcast. If you found it valuable, please do what you can to share it with others. As always, you can find us on Instagram at the Sep is in the Prep, or if you'd like to reach me directly, I can be found on all social media channels under the handle at Wallaps11. Thanks and take care.